here for Children's Church. Uh, if you are age three through, fifth, uh, through third grade, you can make your way down to Children's Church. The rest of us are going to be in John chapter, the Gospel of John chapter 12 today. We're going to be in beginning of verse 12 of John chapter 12. And as you make your way there, let me tell you a quick story. On the 19th of July, 2017, David Johnston, who is the governor general of Canada at the time, caused a minor scandal. He was at an event in London with Queen Elizabeth II and he descended a set of carpeted stairs with her at his side. The carpet was slightly loose, and Mr. Johnson was concerned that Her Majesty, who is quite old at this point, might stumble on the folds in the stairs. And so he reached out, and he did the unthinkable. He touched the Queen of England. He grabbed her by the back of her elbow to guide her down the stairs. Now, you might not know this, but Queen Elizabeth is, at least in, in an official capacity, the head of the government of Canada and uh, of Great Britain and all the Commonwealth nations, and you do not touch her in any uninvited way. She has to ask you if she wants your assistance. She has to permit you to lay a hand on her. Why? Because she is the queen and you are one of her subjects. And so this caused a, a minor scandal. Gasps went up on both sides of the Atlantic in both Canada and Great Britain. That, uh, that someone would have the audacity to actually touch the queen without her permission. Now, as an American, I have to say that looks a little bit silly to me. You know, we fought a war to get rid of our king, and so <laughs> we're, not, uh, we're not big on royal protocol, but the BBC did a broadcast on this and then followed up with a 10-page article online for royal protocol should you happen to meet the queen and spend any time with her. And all of this is over, over politely and out of concern for her welfare, touching a woman who is officially the head of Canada and Great Britain's government, but who actually possesses no real governing power. She's a figurehead. She's a constitutional monarch. All of the power in the British government actually resides with the prime minister, and she is merely there for essentially decorative and ceremonial functions. But she is the queen. And she is offered a degree of honor and respect that is not offered to commoners like you and me. Well, what does all this have to do with Jesus? It's because today I want to show you that Jesus is a different kind of king 
than what the world is used to. And that though he will be proclaimed king, he is a different kind of king than any other monarch the world has ever known. So I want to read the scripture with you and look at these things. Beginning at verse 12 of chapter 12 of the, the Gospel of John. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, I know that uh, Palm Sunday was a few weeks ago. And uh, my preaching calendar and the, the, uh, the uh, regular calendar did not exactly align. But this is John's description of that event. And I want you to notice a few things in this account. First, why did the people go out to meet Jesus? Why? The text tells us. Because... They had heard the testimony of the people who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And if you read through John's gospel, you see that the raising of Lazarus is Jesus' sixth public miracle. There are seven of them. One is yet coming. It will be his own resurrection. But G John includes six public miracles done by Jesus that indicate to anyone with eyes to see that Jesus is the Messiah. The raising of Lazarus was number six. And these people that had seen that event have gone about telling people, you won't believe what Jesus did. I was there. He called the dead man from the tomb. He had been dead four days. His corpse had already started to rot. Jesus stood out there. They rolled the stone back. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man walked out. As sure as I'm standing here, I saw it with my own eyes. And people are going out to see Jesus. They have gone out of the city. They know that Jesus is out at Bethany where Mary and Lazarus and Martha lived, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And they take palm branches because they are going to celebrate and proclaim Jesus to be king. What do people do when they meet Jesus? Notice that. They proclaim him to be king. They say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They are recognizing in Jesus the return of the king. The long-awaited king of Israel. There has not been one for 500 
and 86 years prior to Jesus' birth, and it is now 30 years later than that. It is over 600 years since Israel has had a king to sit on the throne of the line of David. And God promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 there would always be a king to sit on his throne. And people are going, where is the king? Where is the king? This is the king. We call this, notice this too, um, Jesus' actions fulfilled prophecy. Prophecy from Zechariah. If, you, if you're looking at your Bible, you see this, it's set off in quotation, at least it is in the ESV text, that this is a prophecy of Zechariah that when the king came, that he would come sitting on a, on a donkey's colt. In other words, on the male uh, offspring of a donkey, a, a young colt. And by the way, what kind of mount is a donkey? It's not very glorious, I'll assure you. Y'all heard a donkey bray? You know, you can hear them at a distance of a mile and a half. You can hear that, <laughs> okay, <laughs> from a mile and a half away, okay? And by the way, are they, are they big and impressive? No, okay? Like, I love to go to the fair and go through the draft horses barn. Now that is an animal that is impressive, right? That's an animal that's got feet the size of these communion platters. I mean, they're a humongous, big animal, right? You feel, you feel small and inadequate next to one of these Belgian horses. Next to a donkey? You know, this is an animal people keep as pets. They keep them a lot of times with sheep because they'll run the coyotes off, but they're not very big. This is an animal where if you are seated on it, and if you're a tall guy, your feet may touch the ground on either side. This is not an impressive mount. No one seeing this is going, wow. We call this in our Bibles the triumphal entry. But in, if you were there, it wouldn't have looked like much. It would have looked like a peasant guy riding on the back of an unimpressive animal into Jerusalem being proclaimed king. And the Pharisees look at this with scorn. Because what kind of king are they looking for? They're looking for the kind that comes riding in on a white stallion. One that, one that uh, is impressive to look at. One with an entourage. One, more importantly, with an army behind him to throw out the Romans. Who has Jesus got? A bunch of people with palm branches. This does not look like the royal procession that they're going to need if they're going to have Jesus be the king instead of Caesar. But Jesus is coming in as a humble king. 
By the way, does that seem like an oxymoron to anybody? Like jumbo shrimp? You know, peacekeeper missile? Humble, humble king, right? Uh, that's what kind of king Jesus is. He comes in in a humble way. You might not have recognized this man as being who he is, the son of David, the glorious son of God, the king of Israel that Zechariah predicted, but that's who he is. He's the humble king. Comes as the peace bringer rather than the ruler, as the humble king. And don't miss the varied reactions that are here. The disciples are confused. They're like... You know, if you read the other Gospels, Jesus sends them into town to go get a donkey to, for him to ride on. And that no one, they don't understand, according to John, why they're even doing that. And yet they go. And they get the donkey, and Jesus brings it. You know, Jesus sits on it on somebody else's coats for a saddle. And they go riding into town. And it says it isn't till later that they remember what Zechariah said and remember what the crowd said and fit it all together and they go, you mean this was that? Because they aren't expecting this kind of king either. And the Pharisees are worried because they see the crowd that's following Jesus as dangerous and Jesus' entry as a threat because the Pharisees knew Zechariah, and they knew exactly what Jesus was doing. That he was announcing himself as king, making explicit claim to be the Messiah, and they have rejected his claim. And so on the one hand, you've got confusion. On the other hand, you've got hostility. And at the center of it all, you've got Jesus, the humble king. Let's keep reading. Now some among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus is not just the humble king. He is the humble king whose death brings life. As Jesus enters the city... There are some God-fearing Gentiles that are among the group that are there to worship God at the Passover. Uh, they've not become Jews. They haven't converted to Judaism, but they are people who, who fear the God of Israel and recognize Him as the true God, and they want to see Jesus, and they send their request up the chain. They go and they get Philip. Probably because Philip speaks Greek. He's from Galilee. They recognize him as a fellow Greek speaker and so they they come to him and they say hey we want to see Jesus so Philip goes and gets his brother Andrew 
And he says, hey, Andrew, these guys want to go see Jesus. And so they go together to go see Jesus and tell him about the request of these Greek uh, Gentiles. And Jesus tells them something very interesting. He said, the hour is coming for me to be glorified. Glorified. Now he's just been proclaimed king, and now he says, now the glory is about to happen. Now what are you thinking? If you're one of Jesus' followers, what glory looks like? Let me tell you what I'm thinking. A number of years ago, I I was blessed to get to go on a trip over to Central Europe and do some street evangelism and and spend some time there with some missionary friends that we had. And we took a day trip over to Vienna, Austria, and we went through on a tour of Schönbrunn Palace. Now, Schönbrunn Palace was the, the summer palace as opposed to the winter palace. You know, they had one for each season. Uh, Schoenbrunn Palace was the, the summer palace. You got out away from the city, and it's this massive, massive place. I don't know how many rooms are in it. They only let us see just a handful of the rooms that were there. But it is so massive that, that between the wings of this palace, there's a courtyard out in the back. And the Habsburg emperor used to stand on the, the, basically the back porch of the palace and review his troops, and he could have a million men in uniform in just the courtyard of his palace. It's a big place. The gardens are bigger than the city of Monaco. It's massive. And we went through, and there is a room there, they call it the million room. Because when it was built in the 1700s, just this room, which is not as big as the room we're in, was part of the private apartments of the emperor and his wife, just that room cost a million gold pieces at the time. Just that single room. It's it's amazing. It's an impressive place. And if I can borrow a word, I would say that it is a glorious place and so when Jesus is going to tell his disciples hey it's now it's time for the glory to come guess what I'm thinking like man I've been a poor fisherman my whole life and now it's time for some glory (laughs) right that's what we're thinking what's Jesus talk about when he talks about glory how will that happen My glorification, he says, is going to come in the same way as a grain of wheat. Say, what? Like a grain of wheat? And Jesus explains, he says, you know, when a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it dies. That grain rots, and then it brings forth a stalk that produces far more fruit than went into the ground. He says, in the same way, I'm going to do what? I'm going to die and be buried in the ground. And then out of my death is going to come life. Far more fruit than went into the ground. And that among the the fruit of Jesus' death is going to be this 
group of Gentiles that now want to see him. They're going to be part of the fruit. The disciples are going to be part of the fruit. These people that are around Jesus right now are just a taste of what Jesus will bring to life when he is glorified. But is this the way we normally think of glory? No. His glory is not in his life, it's in his death. Notice this truth, this, this also. See this. Look at the text, verses 25 26. Whatever is true of Jesus is going to be true of those who follow him. That's the point Jesus is making in verses 25 and 26. Whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will gain it. And eternal life and honor from the Father will come from serving Jesus the Son. But if you love your life now and aren't willing to trade it for the eternal life Jesus offers, then you will lose your life for eternity. That's the point of what he's saying. Saying you're going to have to make a swap. If you want eternal life and honor for eternity from God the Father, you're going to have to serve the Son. You're going to have to give up your life for His. And if... On the other hand, you say, my life now is everything I want. Then you will lose your life for eternity. Because Jesus says he is the dividing point between glory and dishonor. And if you want glory, you're going to have to trade it for dishonor now to get glory later. Again, we're seeing that Jesus is a different kind of king. He is a humble king rather than a haughty king. And honor comes from following him and serving him even as he goes to Jerusalem not to rule but to die. Let me ask you, are you willing to throw your lot in with that kind of king? I hope so. Because if you do, you will, like him, die to yourself might not die physically. You might not die as a martyr like most of the disciples. But if you follow Jesus fully, your death will be no less real. You will be daily putting yourself to death to follow the king. You will be sacrificing all that you might have otherwise had and been and done for his glory and your good. And when you do... There will be for you eternal life and honor before God. That's our calling. To lose our lives for Jesus' sake that we might gain his life. And might have him as king whose death brought us eternal life. Now look at verses 27 to 36 with me. We're just going to look at the first half of verse 36. We'll look at the second half next week. But Jesus says this, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. 
Jesus answered, the voice came for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light... Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. you imagine this scene? Jesus is preaching and he prays to the Father to glorify his name. And by the way, how will the Father's name be glorified? It will be glorified in Jesus going to the cross to die. That's the hour that Jesus is talking about that he is saying, I will not pray to be saved from that because I want to glorify the Father. And, I, and, and in my death will the Father's name be glorified. And as Jesus prays, the Father Himself answers in an audible way from heaven. He says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And some of the people who are standing there do not have a category for this. They don't even know how to fit God speaking from heaven into their worldview. And so some of them say, I think it just thundered. And some people say, no, no, that was a voice. Must have been an angel. But it was God the Father who spoke. And Jesus explains that the voice that was heard was not for his sake, but for theirs. That they might understand who Jesus really is. He already knew who he was. He didn't need the Father's audible confirmation of that. He had heard that confirmation many times. It came that they might understand. That they might believe. And in verse 31 and 32, Jesus explains his mission. He says, It's time for God's judgment, for the ruler of this world to be cast down from his rule, and for Jesus to draw all people to himself. What he's saying is this that Jesus' death is going to be the end of Satan's rule over humanity, and it's going to bring salvation to the entire world. Does the crowd around him understand? No. They don't understand the dual reality of Jesus' role as the Son of Man. That the Son of Man not only came to offer his life as a ransom for many, he will later come as the divine figure of Daniel chapter 7 to reign and rule over all nations and to put every empire of the world under his feet. But that does not happen at the same time. And the crowd does not understand. They remember Daniel 7 and the Son of Man ruling and reigning, and they're thinking, this is what Jesus has come to do. So how can you talk to us about Jesus dying? How can you talk about the Messiah being lifted up from the earth on a cross? How can that happen, Jesus? They don't understand. 
And so since they're confused, Jesus explains, look, you're only going to have the light for a little while longer. You need to walk in the light while you have the light because darkness is coming. And when darkness falls, you can't see where you're going. Let me interpret that for a minute. Who is the light? Jesus. Why will it be with them only a little bit longer? Because Jesus is going to fulfill his mission in his death. What's the darkness? It's the lack of understanding and unbelief that comes from rejecting Jesus. But if you embrace Jesus, then you become one of the sons of light, one of the children of God. But if you continue in your unbelief rejecting Jesus and saying Jesus can't be a different kind of king than what I'm expecting, then you will remain in the darkness and the darkness will eventually overtake you and you will be unable to put your trust in Jesus. And that's what happened. There were many people who when Jesus died rejected him as Messiah. They said, that's not the kind of king I want. That's not the kind of king I'm looking for. I'm out. But there were many who embraced him and they became children of the light, sons of light. And that leads me to a question here as we, as we close out our time. Are you one of the sons of light? Are you one of the sons of light? I know that some of you are new to church and new to this whole idea of following Jesus. And maybe you're not sure if you should. But here's what I can tell you. What was true in Jesus' day is true today, too. That the light is present only for a little while in most people's lives. I don't want you to miss the opportunity that Jesus is offering you to walk in it and become one of the children of God. If you reject Jesus, you reject Jesus. Sooner or later... Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but sooner or later, the darkness of sin and death will overtake you. And you will have missed your opportunity to become one of the children of light because you will no longer have ears to hear what Jesus is saying. And so over and over, the Scripture says, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you feel Jesus speaking to you in your heart, and I know some of you are right now as I'm speaking to you, you are hearing Jesus' voice calling you out of the darkness of the life you have lived to this point and inviting you to come to the light and to live as one of the sons of light. Today, if you're hearing that voice in your heart, don't turn aside. Don't turn away from that. Don't turn back from the light toward the darkness. Move into the light and embrace Jesus. It's very simple. It is hard to do. It is a big commitment, but it is simple. It is to say to God, I am done living 
the life I have lived up to now. I am turning away from that. I am turning towards Jesus, and I'm going to need an in, in, the enormous resources of the Spirit of God to be changed and be different from what I am now. But I am putting my trust in Jesus' death on the cross for my sin and his resurrection from the dead to give me new life. I want to be a child of the light. That's what it takes. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ, turning toward him and away from the life that you've lived up to now, embracing him. If you do that, you'll experience his resurrection life flowing through you by the Spirit of God and making you a totally new person from whatever you were before. One more question as we close. Do you love your life? Or do you hate it for Jesus' sake? I'm not talking about are you depressed or not. Some of you all may hate your life because you're just depressed, (laughs) right? (laughs) And if that's how you feel, get together with some friends. Let's talk about that. Let's pray about that, right? I'm not talking about hating your life in that sense. I'm talking about do you, in comparison to your love for Jesus, hate your life that you might gain Him? If you're a Christian, then Jesus is calling you to offer all that we are for all that He is. To to leave no area of life unyielded to his will to have no dark closet in the in the home that jesus is making in our hearts where we say to him no this area is off limits jesus i love this part and you can't have it or do you say Jesus, everything I am, everything I have, everything that I could ever be, I offer to you. I hate my life in comparison to how much I love you. That's our calling. I know you love Jesus. I know you do. If you're a Christian and you're willing to put up with me week after week, you have to love Jesus to show up. Okay. I know you love Jesus. But sometimes we start to love our lives despite ourselves. And so I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now to show you and to show me if there's anything present in our lives that we love more than Him and to be willing to hate it for His sake and to embrace Him in His place. And we're going to need His help with that. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we are confronted by a Jesus who is unlike any other king we've ever encountered. He's humble. And the way to glory is through death. The way to honor is through humiliation. The way up is down. It's through death, through sacrifice, And it's humility that brings glory. Father, I pray that you would humble us today. That you would cause us to lay every bit of our lives before you. And to say, Father, 
Everything I have, everything that I am, everything that I might be, I offer it to you as a sacrifice. There is no part of my life which is more precious than Jesus. And in comparison to everything else in my life, every possession that I have, every relationship, I sacrifice them all that I might know Christ, that I might embrace Him, that I might follow Him wholly and completely. And Father, we ask that if there's any area of our life we have not yet yielded to You, that by Your Holy Spirit You would be poking us in the soul and telling us this closet needs cleaned this dark corner needs to be emptied that the light of the Son of God might shine there and that you might serve me completely as my child. Father, I pray that if we, we are found with one of those that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to be cleansed of it, to repent of it, to confess it to you and to find healing for it. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has never put their trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day. I pray that the darkness would not overtake them, but that they would move in the light toward the Son of God and would become children of the light by faith in Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection to give them new life. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.